news, Aaron. You're looking very relaxed for a Monday morning. A very relaxed weekend. I just decided to opt for a super chill vibe and head off for a float. A float. A float. <laughs> what is a float? Please explain a float to me. <laughs> so it isn't me trying to uh, go off on the south coast here in Wellington and try and float in the ocean. It is basically <laughs> what it says on the tin. So you're in a tub floating in a lot of Epsom ah. salts. Not really sure which way is up. You're a little bit discombobulated, but also extremely heavy and sleepy. A float. Now I know what you're talking about, although I've... I've never done it. I've seen the pictures. It just looks like like kind of being in a bath with like a lid on it. Is that right? It kind of is. Yeah, it kind <laughs> of is. You just kind of lie there. You let your mind drift. You can get a bit existential if you like or Ooh. just meditate for 45 minutes. 45 minutes is a long time. That's a long we, time. Come on. Were you bored by the end of 45 minutes? Lying on your back thinking about absolutely nothing? A little bit. There are definitely (laughs) points at which you go, I'm ready to get out of this thing. (laughs) But I would say the float itself is fine. It's like you say, like a long bath. But afterwards, you totally feel like a soft, squishy marshmallow. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, delicious. (laughs) Okay, well, from a salt pod to a usable pod, the goal for today's show can be to be more intellectually stimulating than a float. Can we do it? Let's find out. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is what's worth talking about. The millions, and we mean millions, Timu is pouring in to take over your ad space. The clean car rebate has turbocharged New Zealand's EV fleet. Is the new government mad to get rid of it? El Nino, you've no doubt heard the word before. We'll explain exactly what it means for your summer. And start your vacuums. We are talking the housekeeping Olympics. Yes, it is a real thing. (laughs) All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. It's giant, it's orange, and it is everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Everywhere. What we're talking about, you might ask, the online shopping platform Timu. It really is impossible to escape. Every page you open has a digital ad, and you couldn't watch the Rugby World Cup without hearing the presenters deliver the sponsor's message constantly. Of course, again, that sponsor was Timu. But just how many of our precious dollars is this marketplace actually capturing? Well, the man with some thoughts on this is digital marketer Ian Howard of Bright Street Studio. Kia ora, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, is it just me and my algorithms, or is Timu just dominating the advertising space at the moment? Uh, It could be a bit of both. I suspect (laughs) if it is your algorithms, it's everyone else's algorithms as well. (laughs) Can you remind us what it is? Because it's not just kind of one, well, it is one shop, but it's also not just one provider, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's what they call a marketplace. So it's connecting uh, consumers directly to people who are manufacturing the goods and sort of cutting out the retailer. I guess in this case, the retailer is Timu. Um, so they're, they're just doing that job of connecting supply and demand, uh, which means you can buy from people directly from China where they're not paying people very much to make them. And so you can buy it very cheaply, but um, you know, basically you get what you pay for. It must be spending some pretty decent cash to get all this ad coverage. I mean, how much are we talking? Oh, yeah, we'd be talking a lot of money. I mean, I suspect that uh, just on things like search uh, marketing, which is where, you know, you put a search term into into Google or your chosen search engine and you get those sponsored results at the top. At the moment, you can't really put a search in for any product without Timu being the very first result that you get at the top there. Now, 
that is a very expensive thing to buy. Um, to buy that at scale across a big audience and across an enormous number of different product searches, you'd be talking probably seven figures. I mean, they'll be spending um, a lot of money. And that's just on the search stuff. When you then add all of the other forms of advertising that they're using at the moment, they'll be spending a lot of money really saturating the market. And millions of dollars. Millions of dollars, absolutely. The Rugby World Cup as well, that's not going to come cheap, that kind of sponsorship. Are they just targeting New Zealand or is this a worldwide blitz they're doing? No, well, it's funny. I mean, New Zealand, I would imagine, is a drop in the ocean for them. You know, we've got 5 million uh, buyers here. Uh, you think about that compared to the rest of the world, it's not a lot. Um, so the fact that they're going as big as they are um, here, they'll be repeating that in other markets as well. Based on your experience, does this type of kind of all-consuming advertising actually have an effect? Do you think it actually gets people to to part with their hard-earned dollars? Yeah, well, I mean, ad- advertising works um, fundamentally. Uh, there's a reason why um, you know it's been a, a well-worn model for you know hundreds of years. Uh, capturing attention, building building brands works. Now, the, I, I think what they've chosen here is to prioritise short-term results over long-term results. I don't think they're building an enormous amount of of kind of brand equity, if you like. You know, people aren't thinking of Timu and thinking you know high-quality stuff, and this is the first place I have to go to, what they're really using is short-term tactical marketing to try and interrupt people's normal shopping journey. So where you might normally land on a New Zealand retailer, if you can get in front of people, divert them off to um, you know a marketplace where you can buy something a bit cheaper, it can change people's shopping behavior. And that um, I'm I, I don't, unfortunately, it's very hard to find data at the moment. They're not reporting on their financial returns in New Zealand. They're not reporting on their number of users. We know that there was enormous growth, but the last numbers were back in April. They're also not reporting at the moment, I think, because the advertising spend has been so recent. It's very hard to find the level of advertising spend, which you can normally find as well. So it's all hidden behind a bit of a veil of mystique at the moment. Excuse me if I'm being a prude, Ian, but do some of the ads sometimes look a bit rude when you see the pictures um, of of several products that you can buy on Timo? And you go, what on earth do you use that for? Uh, that might just be your mind, Jess. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> might say more about you than the results. Well, I mean, when we say there's just about every product that you can buy on there, there is just about every product. So, And I think the other thing to say is they don't really care what product you land on. So I've, I've actually done a little bit of kind of looking around on the platform. The internal search on Tibu is terrible. Um, you know, you can search for, you know, something that's relevant to you and land on something that's completely irrelevant because all they really care about is landing you on something that they want to sell. So it's not really to your benefits, to theirs. Um, so if you're being served up with some um, some strange things, Jess, um, uh, you may maybe clear your, your browser history. <laughs> This is not my fault, I promise. I'm not Googling the kind of things that they're trying to sell me. I think they're doing it on purpose. Ian Howard of Bright Street Studio, thank you so much for joining us today. Brilliant, thank you both. Well, I think it's clear what we need to know from you lovely listeners after that Timu chat. There's two questions. Firstly, have you bought something off Timu? Have you succumbed to the spinning wheel of marketing? And second question, has it broken yet? And look, I come to this from a place of empathy because the one thing I bought from Timu, a chess set, is already kaput. And you're right to ask, how does a chess set even break? Because I asked the same question myself, but yet it is completely broken. Search us up on Usable NZ, slide into the DMs if you need more room to explain your Timo experience. But we want to hear it. Usable NZ. The Clean Car Discount. Since its inception in July 2021, New Zealand's electric car fleet has rocketed from about 4% to 12%. It's proved popular with parts of the public, not so much amongst those paying more for their high emission vehicles like utes. And if you believe National's pre-election rhetoric, its days are numbered. 
But given the need to decarbonise our transport system, would the government be mad to remove any incentives to going green? To chat over this some more, we're joined by Rafe Chapman, an adjunct professor at Victoria University. Rafe, thanks so much for joining us. Has the clean car rebate been a success? Yeah, it has. A lot of people criticise it for spending money on middle and higher income people. But yes, in terms of carbon reductions, it is a, a, a roaring success. What, what the government was trying to do was introduce a tangible step that meant that people would move into electric cars faster than they otherwise would. And that's exactly what it's achieved. Did people actually stop buying utes while this was in place? It raised the price of utes. It didn't stop them going out the door. I mean, they're still very popular. And so are SUVs, which are gas-guzzling SUVs, are still outselling battery electric vehicles. But it, it swung the you know, the sales figures markedly in, in favour of electric vehicles, and, and particularly the battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids, which are really what you want. It's actually cut, you know, CO2 emissions quite significantly from the transport sector, and that's the sector that's the most hard to get doing the right thing. So what do you think will happen then to not just EV sales, but carbon emissions if the rebate is removed? What people really make a decision on, you know, in terms of driving and what vehicle to buy, is mainly the upfront cost. I mean, they're so influenced by the upfront cost. And so, you know, they tend to disregard the week-by-week costs of, of, you know, motoring. But EVs can, over the lifetime or the life cycle of your purchase, say 10 years or something, they save you a lot of money and reduce emissions in the process. The, the key thing is that people don't necessarily care a huge amount about carbon emissions or air quality, but they do see that price tag. And so the government's got to help people get past that big ticket price. And so without that incentive, do you see sales going down? Oh, yeah. I mean, sales of EVs will go down relative to what they would have been. Yeah, they might not fall, absolutely, because the trend is heavily upward, you know, steeply upwards. So, yes, they will fall, but, you know, and that's unfortunate. So it then depends on what the the government does to sort of counter that. They've talked about more charging stations, and that's really helpful uh, because, you know, frankly, yes, I mean, I do drive an EV myself, and you see that charging stations are few and far between, really, uh, especially in big cities where, you know, there's a lot of demand. There has to be a lot of transport policies to get emissions down irrespective of what happens in the EV area. And the ETS is not the emission trading system price is not enough to do it. So the government's got to think about things like electrifying buses, which, you know, Labour and the Greens put a lot of money into, hundreds of millions of dollars. So if you look overseas at at countries where, you know, they're really pulling down the emissions from the transport sector, countries like Norway or most of Europe or even parts of the US, um, heaven forbid, you know, they, they really do push money at cycle lanes and getting people walking, better public transport, mass transit, uh, even car sharing schemes, you know, things like that. You don't want the the thing to stall. We're at risk at the moment of of having this good takeoff of EVs and then now stalling, and, and you don't want that to happen. You want the momentum to continue. I think it will, but yeah. Rafe Chapman from Victoria University, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. Cheers, Rafe. 
Up next, the Olympics is beyond the reach of most of us, but the housekeeping Olympics, could you stand a chance there? Plus, if you're liking what you're hearing to make sure you never miss an episode, give us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. See what other Olympics we can uncover. El Nino, you've probably heard the word before, you know it is something to do with the weather, but do you know what it means for your summer? And it's important to pay attention here because it could be a bizarre few months weather-wise ahead. Yes, right, yes, this is set to be our first El Nino, I love saying that with a bit of an accent, summer in nearly a (laughs) decade. The good news though is you can stop nervously nodding along at home because we have the answer to all your El Nino questions, well, Okay, we don't have the answer, but we've found someone who does, who is Tristan Myers from Niwa. Kia ora, Tristan. Thanks for coming on. Kia ora. Give it to me simply. What is El Nino and what does it mean for our summer? El Nino. All right. Unfortunately, it's not really that much of a simple answer, ah. but look, I'll do my best here. <laughs> now, El Nino is something that happens in the tropics, right? So far north of us. It's, it's to do with sea surface temperatures. When they become warmer than normal in a part of the tropical Pacific, that causes circulation patterns to change, and then that in turn causes that warming to increase more. It's kind of this coupling between the atmosphere and the ocean, working together in tandem in this positive feedback loop. What El Nino means is an increase in westerly winds, and uh, what that means, well, you can see wetter than normal conditions for places like the West Coast, Southland, Taranaki, but drier than normal conditions for places like Hawke's Bay and Canterbury, maybe parts of Nelson, for instance. But a little bit of a word of warning, El Nino, each one is different, right? The last one we had, 2015, 2016, it's going to be very different to this year's El Nino for sure. We're already seeing that. It's quite a different flavor this year than what we've had. And the last caveat I'll give is El Nino only accounts for about 25% of the weather variability in New Zealand. What type of flavor are we seeing? I mean, Niwa has forecast that this year's El Nino is set to be quite intense. How intense are we talking? Well, it's not a vanilla flavor, I'll tell you that much. So what we do is we look at historical El Ninos when we want to kind of guide us to how the summer will shape up. If you look at the sea surface temperatures across not only the tropics, but across the world right now, if you look at them relative to average, which is what we usually do when we're looking at climate and stuff, it's kind of just warm everywhere, right? Like it's really warm where El Nino is expressing itself, but it's kind of warm everywhere. If you look back at 2015, 2016, that wasn't so much the case. And what that means is that there's just moisture available everywhere. There's heat in the ocean, right? And why do we care about it being warm and the waters near and, and, and near us? Because imagine you're sitting in the bathroom, right? And uh, the 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 water is running, and you're and you're running a bath. You can feel the warmth in the air from that. So kind of just that's what's happening to the earth right now. You're we're we're kind of in this warm bath right now, and that means that any sort of rainmakers that come through, they could still bring some heavy rain to those eastern areas that would be typically dry during an El Nino. Generally speaking, for the summer, are we going to see record-breaking temperatures? That kind of thing. Oh, it's so difficult to forecast record-breaking temperatures. Oh, I yeah. wish I could. You know, I'd be pretty rich person right i'd be uh, i'd be going into business by myself uh but look with westerlies those are winds that come from the west right so what's west of us well west of us there's a big ocean the tasman sea and then after that there's australia now it gets really hot in australia and if you get a lot more westerlies well the heat from australia gets collected and blown across the tasman and to us in new zealand and so when we have more than normal westerlies, like what we do in El Nino, you tend to see 
more hot days than normal because that Australian heat is just blowing across the Tasman and hitting us in New Zealand. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some very hot temperatures this summer, you know, mid-high 30s, definitely possible this summer for places like Hawke's Bay, Canterbury region, those sort of places that get quite hot. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw that. And it's kind of a difference, right? Because last year, 2022, We didn't see a temperature over 35 degrees at all in New Zealand during 2022. But this year, you know, there's a there's a chance we could make it by the uh, by the time the year closes. And if not by the time the year closes, then probably during summer. Tristan Myers from Niwa. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Happy to do it. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched the Summer Olympics and the racing and the gymnastics and the swimming and thought, you know what, I could give those guys a run for their money. But now, Aaron, I've found the Housekeeping Olympics. Mm, and you think this is your chance? This is your chance at a gold medal? Actually, absolutely not. <laughs> I think more the opposite. I've probably got more of a chance of, you know, outrunning Usain Bolt than I have of making a crisp hospital corner for a bed. But I want to tell you about them anyway, because the events are pretty funny. They take place in Las Vegas this past week. And here are the categories for you. Bed making. There was a mop race. Uh, Olympic vacuuming. I don't really know what that looked like. Buffer pad toss. No idea what that is. One called spirit dance. And then there was also a slalom course for those industrial sized floor polisher cleaner things that you can ride on. They had to go through a slalom course. Amazing stuff. Rather than represent your country, though, these teams, you actually kind of represent where you work. So there were six teams from the various uh, Las Vegas hotels uh, all working against each other, as well as um, apparently one from the Department of Defense for the US. I don't know why they do housekeeping, but there you have it. And this event is actually coming back after a bit of a COVID delay. They used to have about 5,000 competitors, but this year there was only about a couple of hundred. Ah, the post-COVID crunch hits the housekeeping (laughs) Olympics. And that means, especially with the dance because I do love a dance with, with a bit of housekeeping, I have missed my best opportunity for a medal too. Potentially. How good are your bed-making skills? Yeah, my bed-making skills, probably slightly better than my dancing skills, but I am by no means going to be picking up a, a medal for a hospital uh, bed corner or a hotel crisp <laughs> bed corner. It's just not happening. There is no way that uh, someone will be coming and checking my bed corner in the morning and going, that, my friend, is a gold medal. <laughs> High five, gold medal for that. Maybe a vacuuming, maybe a mop skills. Maybe, In fact, maybe. I could just go on a ride on one of those industrial-sized floor cleaner things, though I just don't know where I'd get one to practice. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap the show there and I'll see if I can find a floor cleaner. That is Newsable for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Darman. Kakite. See ya. If you like this podcast, please support our work. 
visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.